netball called a chest pass, right? And I used to get them in the face. <laughs> I just wanted to know that she respects the game of netball. What even is netball? Harrison, you are a freak! This is the sport evolving at its very best. Unbelievable. <laughs> Can you believe it? Welcome to the Kiwi Netball Show. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe and today we're talking media coverage of netball and how that's changed over the years. To help me do that is newly minted Vice President of World Netball, Shirley Hooper, who played a part in routinely getting netball on free-to-air television in New Zealand in the 1990s, a world first at the time, and locker room journalist Suzanne McFadden, who first started reporting on netball in 1986. Suzanne, I'll start with you. Wow, 1986, where were you working? Uh, I was my first job, Bridget, um, in journalism, and I was working at the Bay of Plenty Times in Tauranga. And uh, I wanted to be a sports journalist, nothing else. And um, so I I was working there as a general news reporter, but um, I'd let the sports editor know that I wanted to cover sport. And um, so he asked me if I'd like to cover netball. And I had only ever played one game of netball in my life at school, in primary school at lunchtime when I fell over on the asphalt and never played again. I was a hockey girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was a bit daunted by the idea. But uh, he said to me, look, you don't have to know the rules of the game to start with. You'll learn them. But you know, talk about people, and um, I've been doing that ever since, I think. So I started off covering club netball. Today, that's almost non-existent, isn't it, with the stripping back of local sports coverage across the board. Now it's either pretty much the Silver Ferns or ANZ Premiership. You don't really hear about much under that. Do you find that sad? Uh, I, I do, but I think there's just so much netball out there and um you know there are obvious reasons why club netball isn't covered anymore i mean when i first started uh covering netball at the herald i would do um the auckland club netball as one story and the north harbour club netball as another story each weekend and to do previews on both of them as well so um it has changed dramatically but you know the there's just so many other ways of getting your netball news now and we get to see so much netball on, okay, I have to admit it, you know, paid television, um, pay-per-view television, but, um, you know, there's so much on the internet if you want to see scores, if you want to see highlights. So, um, yeah, I do feel for club netball, but I, I just think it's the natural way that all sports reporting's gone. Shirley, your involvement in the media side of it comes really mostly in the area of TV broadcasting. You were General Manager of Marketing at TVNZ between 95 and 1998. So you played a part in routinely getting netball on free-to-air TV. What had the coverage been like up to that point? Was it just sporadic? Netball was on free-to-air television before mm. I came along. The, the team at TVNZ, I think, had probably recognised the opportunity. I think it had been on sporadically, but when Netball New Zealand, or when the Silver Ferns won in 1987, I think, um, won the World Cup in 1987, I think 
that was probably the real stimulation for going, well, this sport is actually pretty cool. It belongs up there with rugby and cricket. And and I think at the time, TVNZ did a rights deal with those top four sports and netball was one of them. So that was, that was before my time. When I came along, my job was very much to continue building eyeballs on the screen and and getting more people to watch netball and equally as important getting advertiser support for for the game so selling the game to the media buyers some of whom had never really heard about netball or didn't know much about netball and just getting them to put their advertising funds behind it but netball was a you know that was a free-to-air television it was a pivotal moment for netball in New Zealand. People like Ann Taylor and Dawn Jones that were amazing women who worked with, I think it was Lindsay, Lindsay Singleton, was it? Suzanne, yeah. I think. Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, he worked with them. They contracted him and he worked very closely, I think, from what I can understand with TVNZ to really lift that profile. And, and by being a televised sport on TVNZ, that also meant they would cover you in, you know, One News, which would, you know, in those days probably, I don't know what percentage of the country would have watched One News, probably about 80%. So you had people, you you just were, you had so much exposure for the sport through the television medium. You, I think I remember radio as being really strong through those days as well. Um, and you talk to some of the, you know, the, the netball stalwarts and they talk about because we couldn't, while we were televising here, you'll like the story, Bridget, mm. we would package up when an international team would come and play here. We'd give them, before they left, a tape of the game and then they'd play it over there. And somehow these tapes would find their way around the world. So the world would know how we were playing, but we had no idea how the rest of the world were playing because we didn't get any, any tapes in return because no one was filming those tapes. We were the only country for a really long time to be broadcasting netball. But there's a story about, I think, Lynn Gunson talking about how that really sucked when she was coaching because she kind of felt like everyone knew what, what she was doing, but no one, she didn't know what anyone yeah, else was doing. The early days of video analysis back <laughs> oh, then. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then we had magazines. We had a netball magazine in those days. Suzanne, you probably wrote for it. I think I might have. I <laughs> Going back to Joseph, away now. wasn't but it? Yeah, Joseph, Joseph Romanos Joseph was the editor. Um, his wife Gail, and it, they did a fantastic job. And it was, you know, again, there was magazines. Um, there were books written about um, netball players back then, and you don't see that very often now. So it was just there were different ways of getting your netball news. Uh, Suzanne, I was talking to Pulse Media, Media Manager Jane Hunt last year, former NZPA sports reporter, covered lots of netball. She yeah. described the 90s she, as the halcyon days for sports journalists. She covered the 1991 World Cup in Sydney. And newspaper-wise, she said the Christchurch Press would have been there, the Don Post, New Zealand Herald, Evening Post wow. and Radio. So there were more New, Ge- New Zealand journalists on the ground back then than what there would have been at the World Cup in 2019. Yeah, t- totally. Like back when I kind of started writing for the Herald in 1987, I, I counted up how many I could remember. Just in print journalists alone, there were 10 um, dedicated netball reporters. Okay, they reported on other stuff as well, but they, they were dedicated to covering netball wow. at news- newspapers throughout the country. And it's just, you know, news organisations now have much fewer 
journalists than they did, sports journalists than they did as well. And, you know, in, in some newspapers around the country today and smaller newspapers, there's no sports journalists. So it's really changed. And I know that I was really privileged to get to like Jane to be in those through those 1990s that really was amazing you'd go to a national championship and you know there'd be about 12 to 15 sports journalists there just to cover that the nationals for the wow. week and it was it was great fun it was really great and and you travel around the country when a um, international team was here and quite often go to Australia if the silver ferns were traveling to Australia um, it was yeah it was a lot different a lot different. Shirley, uh, a lot of your previous roles were in marketing. Marketing manager Ben Don uh, at one stage became a major sponsor of Nipple. I had a little dig around to see if I could locate any old advertisements that involved Nipple, and you guys might remember this. Unforgettable. <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah. might, it sounds a little bit lame now, but to be fair, it's stuck in my head. It's the only uh, only netball ad that I can remember. Yep, yep. And we were blessed with sponsors in those days who really loved the game. You know, Milo Bendon, we loved the game. We we did all crazy things with it. And then, of course, Fisher and Paykel. Netball actually really looked after its sponsors well. And um, and again, that's the pioneering woman of netball that opened those doors. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Looking back, but then you look today, though, Bridget, and you look at you know these things, the podcast concept. You look at social media that Suzanne alluded to. We have different ways of getting those messages across. In some ways, I think we are we get to know the players more through what they're doing socially, but also with with the various stories and women's magazines, you know, and things like that, that, that get popped out from time to time. Hmm. I kind of think it would be a tougher time now in some ways to be, to be a netball player because it is, you can't hide from much nowadays. No, no everything's online. Suzanne, yeah. look at Netball Scoop. Started out as a netball forum, a small group of passionate fans in Australia trying to fill a vacuum of information. Look at the way Netball Scoop has expanded their coverage and reach now, become quite a comprehensive source of information. I would, I would say they're now a major player in media coverage of netball, not just in Australia. And this is just volunteers. Could we see more of that fa- fans taking things into their own hands? Yeah, I definitely think so. And and players, really. And I think we've seen that lately with... Uh, Amelia Anikanasio, you know, she's on her social media, especially Instagram, most days. Uh, We had Maya Wilson um, most recently. And I think it's something that we're going to see is that um, the need for um, media outlets to report netball, um, you know, may, may grow smaller. And 
yeah, the fans and the athletes themselves are take, maybe taken into their own hands. I think netball's been really progressive, though, with the way that they've adjusted with the times. And you see, you know, each of the franchises has um, social special social media people who, who just simply do their social media, um, video guys. You know, it's just, it's a different, there are so many different mediums out there, your podcasts, you know, they're great. And it's sometimes, you know, just easier to listen in the car when you're driving to work to a podcast than reading something online or on a newspaper. So, but I think netball has been really good at getting on top of this. And, you know, it's it's true, and you'll agree with me, I know, Bridget, that, you know, Kerry Manders um, has for, you know, decades set, set the standard mm. for um, sports media comms people in this country and every sport looks up to Kerry for what she's achieved and the relationship that she's had with with all of us journalists and um, yeah I, I really do applaud the way that netball has um, coped with the shifting times. Shirley as vice president of world netball you would be looking at how much coverage of the game in other parts of the world um, overall, I imagine that New Zealand is the envy of a lot of countries. Oh, very much so. And you will hear, you know, over the years, I've heard whether it be Australian or English, South African test sides that have come to play, the Silver Ferns are stunned by how much coverage that uh, New Zealand has or how much they're in the spotlight. And that is one of our biggest challenges because broadcast deals... You know, if you look at where netball is played in many countries, getting a broadcast deal to broadcast something on national television is unheard of. But if we're clever, I think in the coming years, we can use the digital space more cleverly, whether it's through subscription television, whether it's through YouTube. You know, we've we've had some really big success with World Youth Cup in Botswana, which was televised over the equivalent of live stream or played on YouTube. I can't quite remember which one. And had you know, millions of views of people turning on to watch uh, under-21 sides playing. Mm. So I think that's an area where we have real potential to build and to take advantage of that um, passion that people have about the sport of netball, not just necessarily for netball in their own country, but increasingly as these players from some countries travel the world. Netball New Zealand did that during COVID. You know, they were one of the few countries playing sport and playing netball so they um put in countries that we hadn't sold a they hadn't sold a broadcast deal they gave them access effectively to the anz premiership game so i think there'll be more of that in the coming years and i look forward to seeing where we can take that and explore with that surely it's been a long time in new zealand since netball was on free to air tv so you know, we'll never know uh, potential fans, even potential players that, that don't have access to pay TV, can't, can't watch live coverage. That, that's got to have some kind of impact on exposing people to the game. It's the perennial challenge, I think, when you're, when you're for all sports in New Zealand and you watch, you know, cricket with their move to spark sport, it, they're constantly weighing up the attraction of the investment that a, a pay broadcaster can do with the reach that a free-to-air broadcaster can do. But I'm never entirely convinced the Halcyon days of 
the 90s will come back again where television, where netball would bump the coronation street off the schedule. Did it? Were there no protests down the street? (laughs) The were protests were the Suzanne, if I remember, the were protests. Really? (laughs) Yep, yep, you always get a protest. Netball versus Coro. Yeah. And I'm not sure we'll come back to that. Who knows? I remember netball too, netball tests sometimes um, getting better numbers than an all-black test. And yes, it was they did. Really, really mm. popular. And, you know, they played at um, uh, 8 o'clock, I think. Eight yeah. And 8.30 sometimes were the start yeah. times for international netball. And, um, you know, prime-time television. And they got huge numbers. Yeah. Now, whether, whether you'd find a free-to-air broadcaster willing to do that again, who knows? But that, it is a, it's a commercial decision that you have to weigh up because investing, you know, netball is not a, in fact, all sports are not cheap to run these days. You know, it's a, it's a machine that needs to be fed and you have to find whatever means that you can to feed it and get the investment that you need to grow it. And winning breeds investment, as we've seen with the Silver Ferns, as we've seen with the Mystics. You know, I was talking to someone earlier today and talking about, you know, for a while there, you'd be lucky to to get a stadium a quarter full with the Mystics. I mean, I understand last week's game was a sellout. So, you know, you success breeds and fuels the impetus of finding investment and finding support in different ways. So, Nepal and New Zealand's in good space. Very good space, thanks to people like Kerry Manders, people like Jenny Wiley, uh, Knowles, you know, amazingly talented people in that sport and very much look forward to seeing what they do next.